All right, today's daf is daf Lamed Ches, page 38 in the Hilik of Mesachas Babakama. And we are up to the two dots on the second line on daf Lamed Ches, Amad Aleph. Get ready for an incredible journey of an Amal, of a daf ahead of us. Mamish, we have a couple, some Agatha Gemaras, things very much connected to Hanukkah as well. And without further ado, let's tear apart the halacha of the Mishnah, which stated that if the ox of a Yid gores the ox of a non-Jew, he is putter, he's not obligated to pay. But if the ox of a non-Jew gores the ox of a Yid, he must pay Nezek Sholem. He's got, he's got to pay in full. Okay. Now remember, coming off of uh, yesterday's daf, we learned that there are similar uh, discrepancies in halacha, when a, a Yisrael's ox scores a hektish ox, or a hektish ox scores a Yisrael's ox. And the primary factor that we brought down why there should be a difference is because it says in the Torah, ki yigach ish es shorei eyu, when an when ox scores the ox, of, when your ox scores the ox of your friend, then hektish is not, is not considered rei eyu, he's not considered one of you, he's not considered your friend, hektish is something else. So too, we're going to see, this is going to be the underlying premise of the halacha, why it's different when an ox of a yid gores the ox of a Jew, of, of a non-Jew, or the ox of non-Jew gores the ox of a yid. A non-Jew is not in the category of re'ehu, of a friend being one with a yid. Okay? Now, the, the, the elephant in the room is going to be, well, if it's not re'ehu, if a non-Jew is not called re'ehu, a friend of the Jew, and there's a, it's, it's in a separate category, the same way a Jew is in a separate category, then something belongs to Hekdash. So why is it a one-way street? Why is it that when the ox of a non-Jew gores the ox of a Jew, you need to pay? It's not re'eyu. So that's going to be the elephant in the room that the Gemara is going to have to come to explain. We're going to give an answer, and that's going to lead us into some fascinating stories, agarat Gemaras, and some history. So here we go. Second line. If the ox of a Jew gores the ox of a Kenani, now I was saying non-Jew, this is specifically a non-Jewish Kenani right now. Okay, and we'll, we'll see why we're keeping that in mind. Allah says he does not need to pay, but if the ox of a Kanani gores the ox of a Yid, he needs to pay Nezek Shalim. Amri, they asked the question of Man of Shach. Either way, this Allah doesn't make sense. If the word Re'eyu is literal, the Kanani Kanakishol Nami Potter, why when the ox of a Kanani gores the ox of Yisrael, does he need to pay? And if your fellow means not literally another Jew, maybe it means everybody. So, even when a, a, a Jewish-owned ox scores a Kanani ox, you should be obligated to pay. Again, that's the question we said in our introduction. Is the elephant in the room. Why is it a one-way street? So here we go. Omar Rebbe says, Omar Kura. There's a Pasuk which says specifically by Kananim, Omar Hashem got up and he judged the land. He measured out the land. He saw Vayater Goyim and he removed the Kananim. He removed the nations. What does this mean? That Hashem saw and removed the Kananim. He saw the seven mitzvahs. And as soon as he saw the Kananim not keeping these seven halachas, these seven mitzvahs, these seven commandments that they're obligated to keep, God, so to speak, knas them. He fined them and released their money to Klausel. And what does it mean release the money to Klausel? It doesn't mean that finances of a non-Jew, of, of a Kanani a non-Jew belongs to a Jew. What it means is like this. It's forbidden to take any money from a non-Jew. You're not allowed to damage a non-Jew. You're not allowed to... But what Hashem did as a, call it a knas, a little bit of a fine for not keeping the laws of the Shem Mizveh He said to the, the Kananim like this. 
If your ox gores, you have to pay. So in other words, when it says re'ehu, it's lavdavka. Really, what, if, a Jew's, if a Jewish-owned ox gores a Canaanite-owned ox, I don't need to pay. And really, if a Canaanite-owned ox gores a Jewish-owned ox, I also don't need to pay. Because re'ehu, fellow, means only a Jew. So why is it a one-way street? Says Rabbi Avo, a separate halacha that Hashem did to the Canaanim, which is he told them because you don't keep the seven Noahide laws, your consequence of that is if you ever damage a Jew, you got to pay. That's a consequence, but it's a completely separate reason than the usual reason why I need to pay for another Jew, which is because you gored your fellow's, uh, your ox gored your fellow's ox. Okay. Says the Gemara. Rabbi Yechanan Amar Mehachar Rabbi gives another reason. Rabbi Yechanan says, I'll tell you another proof. Another, I'm not another proof. Another reason why the ox of a Kanani that gores the ox of a Yisrael needs to pay. It says, Hashem revealed from Harparon. This is referring to Har Sinai. What does that mean? From Paron, he revealed, he opened up their money to Klai Yisrael. Again, Another expression of kind of a knas, kind of a fine placed on the nations if they damage a Jew. But it's a, what we call a zaitika halacha. It's a separate halacha. It's a separate thing. So Rabbi Yechelen's agreeing to the law. He just brings down another verse proving the why a Kanani owned ox, uh, which gores the ox of Yisrael, even though it should be not obligated because fellow is literal. Here you are going to be obligated. Tanim Yaku learned the price similarly. Sharshi is also Shagok Sharshi Kanani. If you have the ox owned by a Jew, that gores the ox owned by a Kanani Potter. The Jew does not need to pay. Sharshi Kanani Shagok Sharshi is all Bain Tam Bain Mor. If the ox of a Kanani gores the ox of a Jewish owned ox, Mishalim Nezek Shalim, he needs to pay full damage, whether it's its first time, whether it's its fifth time. Shinamar, as it says, Omar be my dear Eretz, Ra'ab, Yatar, Goyim, Vaimar, Fia, Mayar parts. You have explicit Brysa bringing down. Both verses, both of Rabbi Abahu and Rabbi Echidon explaining why a Kanani owned ox that gores, the owner must pay. What is the second verse adding? They're going to tell me hi, that the first verse of Hashem judging the land, it's coming to teach people for the Allah of Ramasa. I'll tell you another verse. From Harsinai, he revealed the money to Yisrael, which means if you already used the first verse for the teachings of Rav Masna and Rabbi Yisif. Now says the Gemara, you're assuming I'm a big Talmud Chacham over here. What is the halacha of Rav Masna and Rav Yisif that they learn out from the first verse of Amar Viyamayde Eretz? Maider of Masna, what is the, what is the halacha of Rav Masna? Dabar of Masna, Rav Masna says, Amar Viyamayde Eretz what did Hashem see that caused him to release the money that if a Jew, if a, if a Kanani owned ox gores a Jewish ox, he's going to have to pay. What does that mean? Hashem saw, he gave the Kananim, seven mitzvahs, and they didn't follow through on keeping it. The same way Hashem threw us into Gullahs from Eretz Yisrael, there's times where Hashem takes nations that are not following through on their responsibility, and he puts them into exile as well. And therefore, what does it mean that Hashem got up and released? What it says, Rav Masna, it doesn't mean release their money. What it means is, Hashem released them from their land. 
They no longer, they, they, were, put into, they were put into Gullus. They were put into exile. Now since he uses the first verse to tell me that the Canaanim were put into exile for not keeping the Shabbat how do I know that their ox scores a Jewish owned ox? You're going to have to pay. Comes along the second verse. Haifiyah me'ar para. Okay. How do you know that releasing Vayater is an expression of sending it to Galus? It says over here that the nations were Vayater. And it says in the Torah when it comes to uh, which uh, animals or bugs or flying things you're allowed to eat. That anything which jumps upon the earth. And we explain this to mean those that jump upon the earth. So you see, lenater means to jump around from place to place. Also, we're going to say that's an expression of exile. And that's Rav Masna. So again, let's just pause for a minute and get a general overview. The Brisa brought two verses proving why a non-Jewish owned ox scores a Jewish owned ox they need to pay. You shouldn't need to pay from the word re'eu. Okay? So why do they pay? We brought two verses. Verse number one was Omar Vayamaydid Eretz that Hashem got up and judged the land. The second verse was Hashem released their money at Harsina. Why do I need two verses? Says Gemara because Rav Masna darshan the first verse differently, just telling me the Kananim were sent into Gullus, and therefore I needed the second verse. If you hold like Rav Masna, again you could ask, so why did you even write the first verse? Because nobody agrees with Rav Masna. So first verse. And if you want to dash the first verse of Kermasa, we still have a proof that the, a non-Jewish owned ox that goes to the Jewish owned ox is going to have to pay. Okay. We also said that Rabbi Yosef had a halacha learnt out from the Psukin. My of of Omar Vimaidir Eretz. So my Rabbi Yosef, what's Rabbi Yosef's halacha? Dom Rabbi Yosef Yosef says, Omar Vimaidir Eretz, Rabbi Chulu, Hashem got up and judged the land, Mara, that Hashem see, Rosh Hamitzvah, Shkibu Alem, and Inayach. He saw the Shem is being Nayak for like Kimo, Mamad Vitirim Lam, Hashem saw that the Kananim were not keeping the Shem is being Nayak, the seven Noahide laws, and therefore Hashem released them from their responsibility. This is so profound. You know what Rebbe says? Because the nations weren't keeping the seven commandments, Hashem said, fine, it's, you don't have the commandments. You don't need to do it. I think this is incredible. Because you don't keep it, you don't need to do it. No, you no longer, yeah, you're not responsible. Says the Gemara, what? Iturei tagar? The sinners are going to gain? God gives you a mitzvah, he gives you a commandment, he says this is what you got to do to keep a normal world. And you're like, nah. God's like, okay, fine, don't do it. Iturei tagar, you're going to gain? The sinner is going to be profiting. Whoever heard of such a thing? You know what it means? You got to do it. It's not that Hashem said, oh, you don't have any mitzvahs anymore. You have mitzvahs, but you don't get reward. That doesn't make sense either. Hey, know that even a non-Jew who, who's involved in Torah study is like a kain gadol, that a, a, a non-Jew can receive an incredible amount of reward for getting involved in the Torah that he's obligated to perform. If you have a non-Jew that sits down, learns through the Sheva Mitzvah Nayach, the seven Noahide laws, learns it in depth, understands it, that's Limud Torah for the non-Jew. That's Torah learning. So, uh, and you're going to receive reward, Mamash, like a Kain Gadol. 
Talmud Leimar Asher Yasei Sam Adam V'Chai Bahem. You do it. You live by your Kahanim Leim Yisrael Leim Nemar Ela Adam. Any man, any human being. Halamarta Shvi Lenachim Betzi B'Tera Rei Kikangodol. So you see that non-Jews get schar, receive reward for Torah study. So this is very confusing to us. We said Hashem gave them the laws; they didn't keep it. God's like, "Fine, don't do it." Says Gemara, "It doesn't make sense. Don't do it. Like it's not there anymore." Says Gemara, "No, they still need to do it. They just don't get reward." Says Gemara, "They do get reward." So Gemara explains like this: Amri, in Mekamliyam Shcharki Metzuba Vaisa, Ella Kamisha in Metzuba Vaisa. Incredible. A non-Jew keeps the Shemitz Beinayach. A Kanani who keeps the seven Noahide laws receives reward, but as someone who's not commanded. What does that mean? So we're going to start getting into a very deep layer of things. Okay? And this, this is going to take us on to the next Gemara as well. I want to explain something. I want to introduce it as follows. We don't do mitzvahs in a way that is transactional. There are people who think that why do I keep the mitzvahs? People who yidin, go through life like this. Why do I do the right thing? Because if I do it, I'll earn Gan Eden. I'll go to paradise. And if I sit, I'm going to go to Gehenim. I'm going downstairs where it's really hot. So you better do it. That is a very transactional relationship with God. That's like working for a boss for a paycheck. And that's not what Hashem wants. The Mishnah tells us we don't serve Hashem like a... Uh, for the, for the purpose of receiving reward. The reward is a side perk. It comes along with building a relationship with Hashem. The goal is to build a relationship with Hashem. Now, when you're commanded to do something, you're building a relationship. And I'll tell you why. If I ask you to do something and you do it, you've shown a relationship with me. If you ask me to do something and I do it, I've shown a relationship with you. If I would have done it anyway without you asking me, would it have gotten done? Yes. Would I have shown any commitment to our relationship? No. Because you never asked me to do anything. By asking somebody or being asked and following through, that is far greater than just the action. Do you understand? The, the example that we always give when it comes to this is, if the garbage bag is full in my home and I decide to take the garbage out, why did I take it out? Because I don't want full garbage bags in my home. I need to make room for another garbage bag. Fine. If my wife asked me to take out the garbage and I do it right away, not only did I clean my house and made sure there's room for another garbage bag, I just built a relationship with her because she asked me to do it and I did it. There's an additional gain when you're commanded, when you're asked and you follow through. There's an additional gain it's a development of a relationship, and this is something that is very profound. It's very profound. When Hashem asks me to do something, it is such an opportunity to build, as opposed to doing it, not being asked. And therefore says the Gemara, when the Kananim fulfill the Shev Mezbeinayach now, they're still obligated to do it, but the way the reward, the outcome, the, the uh, gains that come through it, come about as an which means it don't have the ability to build that ultimate bond 
with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Dama Rabbi Hanina, Godol Mitzvah Vaisa, Yaisar Mimisha Eina Mitzvah Vaisa. It's always greater to do a mitzvah when you are commanded to do it and uh, than when you are not commanded to do it. And therefore the nations don't receive the highest uh, reward when performing the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Nayach. Okay, that's Rabbi Yosef's Halacha. We have Rabbi Masna, we have Rabbi Yosef. Bottom line is, the Brisa agrees with Rabbi Avo and Rabbi Yechanan as to what are the sources teaching me that a non-Jewish ox, that is a Jewish ox, is going to be obligated to pay. However, a Jewish ox goring a non-Jewish ox doesn't need to pay because there's just no source telling me that there's a responsibility. It's not Re'eu, and there's no additional verses releasing Jewish money to Kenanim. Period. Gewaldic. Here we go. Now the Gemara is going to get into some uh, fascinating Agatha de Gemaras that very much connect to what we are learning. Tonu Rabban and the Rabbis learn so shui yukvar shochomachos roimi shnei sadreitis eitzochachmi yisrael lamdunu teraschem. Listen to this. The Roman government sent two officers to the and they said, "Teach us your Torah." And they learned through the entire Torah three times. Bishas b'tiros, and then they were leaving after learning the whole Torah. Amru lehem, they said to the Chum, the Dakim b'chol teraschem emesi. We looked through every last letter, every crown of your Torah, and you know what? It is absolutely true. There's nothing for us to get to to, to mess with. Except there's one law that makes no sense to us. If a Jewish-owned ox gores a Roman-owned ox, or a Canaanite-owned ox, that you don't need to pay. But a Canaanite-owned ox that, has, that gores a Jewish-owned ox pays full damage no matter what. They said that doesn't make any sense to us. Because either way, if your fellow that you're obligated to pay for what you damage is literal, even a non-Jewish, the Kanani owned ox that grows a Jewish owned ox should not have to pay. And if your fellow, your friend, is not Davka, it's not literal, so then even when a Jewish owned ox scores a Kanani owned ox, they should have to pay. What's the answer? We just learned the answer, remember? We have two verses teaching me. But they didn't tell them, the Roman officials, this. We're not going to explain this to the Roman officials. They, they said, we love your whole title except for these two things. And the answer of the moment was, Beseder. Okay, you don't like it? That's okay. That's okay. But we didn't respond. Because... Uh, for for Shalem Alchus, Shalem Alchus, they don't want to hurt our relationship with our government, which is a very important message to take. That even when you are right, it's worthwhile being thought you're wrong for the broader picture of what was at stake. Rav Shmuel, Rav Yehuda, Shchivale Barta, Rav Shmuel, Yehuda's daughter passed away. Amalei Rabban the Ula, Rabban said to Ula, "Kum nezel nachme, please, let's go." And we will be menachem. We will comfort Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda. Amar lehu. Ula said, how, how could I bring nechama? How could I bring consolation to the uh, bavloyim? He says, I, I, I don't like going to people in Bavel because I have a problem with them. Listen to this. The people in Bavel are megadev. They're megadev. They don't have real Full emuna in the Rebbeinu Shlaim. The Amri Ma Efshal Mavad. When they give comfort, 
incredible. When they give comfort to a mourner, the people in Bavel say, this is a foundational Gemara, you know what they say? What, what could you do? What could you do? He says, this is blasphemy. Listen to this. Avdi. You know why? Because it, it seems to imply that if there was something else they could have done, they would have done it. Okay. So, they, um, so he didn't want to go. So he didn't want to go with them. He didn't want to go with the, with the people from Bavel because he didn't want to hear blasphemy. He didn't want to hear uh, Apicarsis, which is, oh, you know, if we could have done something. Sometimes after someone passes away, every, the, the natural place for your brain to go is, if I would have used a different doctor, if I would have done, we would have tried a different treatment, if we would have done something else, Yeah. Nobody ever came up to heaven and God said, whoops. Yeah, that was a mistake. Sorry. He really belonged downstairs. It's not the way it works. And that's the blasphemy that's going on over here. We could have done something else. What could we do? Nothing. You can't do anything. God runs the world. So he didn't like that statement. He didn't want to be Menachem with the people from Bava. He went by himself. Hashem said to Maisha, "Do not oppress Maya and do not wage war against them." Why does Hashem have to Maisha not to go into battle with Maya? Would Maisha have ever gone into battle with Maya without asking God first? Hashem knows Maisha is going to ask him before waging any war. So why do you have to instruct him? Don't wage war. Ella. Moshe made a kavachaymer with himself. Omar, he said, when it came to Midyanim, the Midyanim only came to help Mayav. Right? Midyan is Bilam. Bilam came to help out Mayav. Amra Taira, the Taira says, wipe him out of here, get him out. So Moshe made a kavachaymer, top of the base. Mayav Hamatsam. Balak and his people themselves, the Moab nation themselves, like Koshkin, how much more so should I wipe them out and wage war? I don't even need to ask Hashem, it's logic. You don't think the way I think. Hevra, this is deep, profound, important, always remember this. We don't think like Hashem, we don't know like Hashem, we don't understand Hashem. There's no way, there's a deep separation, it has nothing to do. Hashem is the one who has complete understanding. You think you're supposed to kill out Mayav? Let me tell you something. There's two pigeons that are supposed to come from Mayav. Rus HaMayaviyav and Nama HaAmainas. And therefore, you're not allowed to go into battle against these two. It can make all the logic to you right now. The Rebbe always has the uh, uh, bigger picture, uh, bigger picture at hand. Okay. Now, Saula, remember, is telling over this Tavar Taira when he's comforting, when he's comforting um, uh, Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda when his daughter passed away. Saula says like this. For two pigeons. Two tzaddikim. Um, Rus and Nama. Chos Hakadosh Baruch Hu Al Shtei Umes Two large nations are now are now not going to be wiped out. 
they won't be destroyed. Your daughter, if she would be kosher, this is incredible. His words of consolation were, basically, her time was up, she did all the good that she could possibly bring to the world, and I prove it to you, if there'd be anything else to come from her, she would have kept living. So that was his nechama. That was his nechama. Those were his words of of uh, consolation. Okay. Now, personally, I wouldn't try this at home. I don't think. Uh, don't sit down when you're being Be like, you know, hey, nothing else good would have come out of this. So uh, just be happy with what you have. Yeah, this is not something that works well for our culture. Um, but the, the truth is, when a person has, when Ula's giving over, a person has real amun bitachin, we're understanding that every ounce of goodness for this world that was meant to come from that person has come. It's not a mistake. There's perfection that's there. This was a clarity that Ula was was bringing to Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda so that he shouldn't he shouldn't come to think that there was ever a uh, you know that that there was a, a loss to the world an additional loss to the world besides for the obviously direct love that he had for his daughter okay gives reward for every last detail to every creation even for speaking nicely, okay? Even for, when a person speaks, you could say, good morning, or you could say, good morning, or good morning. You speak nicely, you get reward, okay? Light had relations with both daughters, L'shem Shamayim, by the way. It was for the sake of heaven, even though it was a tremendous mistake. Lot wasn't L'shem Shamayim because he was drunk, very drunk, but his daughters were actually tzidkaniyais. They were righteous people who were tsunuos. They were modest, but they had intercourse. They had relations with their father. L'shem Shamayim, the Misa, the way the story is brought down in part of a Misa in the introduction to Igris Misha is that they had thought for whatever reason, that the whole world had been destroyed, and the only people alive were the two of them and their father, and in order to keep civilization going, they were obligated to have children. And they purposely named their children Amoin and Mayav. Okay? Why the name children Amoin and Mayav? So listen to this. The firstborn daughter named her, her, her son Moav, which means Mayav. This is from my father. The reason why she named her Mayav from my father is because she didn't want later generations to, and this is going to sound very familiar to us, to start a religion claiming that she was a virgin that became pregnant. Again, she thought, she knew she became pregnant from her father. They thought at the time there was nobody else around. And therefore she named her, per- her kid Mayav so everybody will know that no, this kid has a father and shouldn't turn the child into a deity. Okay? Even so, since she named her son Mayav, Mayav, that's still in, that's, it still has a connotation of, this is from my father, it's not so refined 
to give over in that way, even though it was l'shem shemayim, as the Gemara says. Amar like Kadosh Baruch Hu Lamaisha Al Tatzer Asmayav Al Tiskar B'Machama Don't oppress Asmayav Don't wage war Machama Who Delay Don't wage war Ha'angaria Ovid Bahu You could put taxes on them. Tzira the Gemara Ben Ami, but the younger daughter who named her son Ben Ami, the son of my people, which doesn't give off connotations as clearly that it's from her father, even though it is saying so, because from the same nation that I come from, but it's more refined. Do not oppress them at all. Don't wage war. No fines. Even on Garia, even any sort of taxes are not going to be placed upon them. So there's two ways to say something. When you speak in a refined way, you get rewarded. And Hever, this holds true when we get upset. Okay, I find myself stumbling in this. And it's something to notice. This is a, it's a very deep and profound message, learning from our Gemara. When we get agitated, when we get agitated, so, so uh, th- there's different responses. There's different responses. There's, uh, you know, there's a, a very American term. A very American term. The first word is shut, and the second word is up. And it's, it's a very unrefined way to talk. Is, it, is there a specific sin in those words? It's, it's different than telling somebody to either please be quiet, be quiet. There's a tone of voice to it. it says, but other people say it, and there's even big people who say it. But it's a sign of that you're not refined when you speak in such a manner. And this is just one example. And the, ty- the Gemara here says you get reward for not using that term. You get upset at somebody, or you need, you need somebody to stop talking, and you say, please be quiet, or please stop, just the word please you receive reward from. Says the Gemara, and I'll prove it to you from Amen and Mayab. Baruch Hu always receives, gives reward. And if you say, be quiet, as opposed to the other expression... The same thing holds true. So what's the problem? The problem is not, is it a sin? You're not going to receive reward. We're, we're a, a yid is supposed to speak in a way which is as refined as possible. Okay. A person always should try to be first when it comes to a mitzvah. A mitzvah comes your way, try to be from the first people to perform it. Because of the one night that Lot's older daughter had relations with her father, which was Mamish Dun Lashem Shemayim. Again, they thought they were doing a mitzvah over here. Kadamta Arba Dairesli Yisrael. Her descendants joined Klaizal four generations earlier. This is a wild Gemara. This Gemara tells us you could sin, but you're doing it for the purpose of a mitzvah. These two daughters had a relationship with their father. Daughter number one, who named her kid Mayav, got rewarded for being the first one to join in the mitzvah. So if there's ever opportunity for a mitzvah, don't wait to be like, oh, if there's room left at the end, I'll cover the tab. I'll be there afterwards. Be first to rush in to perform, uh, to perform, 
to perform the mitzvah. Tanur Rabbanu, the rabbis learned, and that's why the rabbis, Sharshal Yisrael, Shnagak Sharshal Kusi, if the ox of a yid gores the ox of a kusi, putter the yid is putter of Shal Kusi, Shnagak Sharshal Yisrael, the ox of a kusi gores the ox of, of a yid. The halacha is, tam, if he's a, if the animal's a tam, Mishalim Chatsi Nezek, half, Muad Mishalim Nezek Shalim. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says, Sharshal Yisrael, Shnagak Sharshal Kusi, putter, Shal Kusi, Shnagak Sharshal Yisrael, Bain Tam, Bain Muad, Mishalim Nezek Shalim. Either way, you're going to pay uh, full. Damage. Okay. Now, the question over here is whether or not a kusi is considered Jewish or not Jewish. Okay, because the kusim were a group that uh, converted to Judaism, but out of fear, and therefore, if we're going to consider them to be regular Jews, they'll have the same halacha. If we don't consider them to be uh, regular Jews, so then they'll have the same halacha of a uh, of a non-Jew. So the Gemara here says, one second. According to Reb Meir, who says that if a Jewish ox gores a kusi ox, you're patra, but if a kusi ox gores a Jewish ox, you always pay Nezek Shalim, this seems to imply that they're not legitimate converts. Because we're giving them the halacha of a Kenani. Says the Gemara, Lameimra, does this mean to say, to Savar Reb Meir, that Reb Meir is of the opinion, kusim geri arayasem, that kusim converted out of, because of the lions, because of fear? Okay? For Amini, and, and therefore they're treated like non-Jews. For Amini, I see contradiction. Any external stain coming from the uterus of a woman is tahar, and this is coming from the place called Rekem. Now, Rekem was the place where the kusim, uh, where the kusim lived. For Yehuda Metame, Yehuda says it's Tame Ebreishem Gerim Betayim. No, uh, they are kosher converts, but. They're, uh, they're off the derech, we'll call it. Yeah, they're making mistakes right now. Now, the halacha is dam nida, me, uh, blood from the uterus of a non-Jewish woman is not tameh blood. The laws of nida only apply to a, to a Jewish woman. Okay, so if you hold that the bloods coming from Rechem are tameh, that means you consider these women to be Jewish. If you hold their tahar, then you don't consider them to be Jewish. Any garment with a stain on it, a blood stain, that comes from a, a, a non-Jew, is tahar. Let's say that you have a garment with a blood stain that comes from uh, either amongst Jews or kusim. Rav Meir Rav Meir says you're tameh, which means we consider kusim to be regular converts. Now, so there's a contradiction in Rav In the beginning, Halacha Rav Meir says that if the ox of a uh, if the ox of a kusi gores the ox of a Yisrael, he's going to have to pay nezek shalim. There's no whether it's a tam or a muah. That means we consider them to be non-Jewish. But over here, Rav Meir says we consider them to be Jewish because garments that come from kusi women are tummy. Make up your mind, Rav Meir. Which one is it? There seems to be a contradiction. Amar Rav Yavo. Rav Yavo explains kenasu shekonas Rav Meir Really, Rav Meir holds. That they are Jewish. So why if their ox gores a Jewish owned ox, a kusi ox who's Jewish, gores a regular Jewish ox, do you automatically pay Nezek Shalim? Rameir says it's a kenas. Shalai yitamu behem. So that the Jewish people don't assimilate with them. So times we need to make a different halacha and show the Yisraelim that even though the kusim are Jews, you're not allowed to intermarry with them. They're in their own category of Jewish, we'll call it. Masib Rav Zera. Rav Zera asked a challenging question. There are certain... Uh, if somebody violates a girl in a stage of a nara, a nara basula, he has to pay a fine um, to the uh, to the girl. 
and he's obligated to marry her if she so chooses. So Kanas, Mamzeres, You're gonna be obligated to uh, to pay the fine. If you're gonna say that Rameyer places the Knas on the money of Kusim, why don't we say the same thing over here? We should place a Knas on the Kusim and not obligate somebody who violates her to pay. We shouldn't consider her to be a regular Yisraelis, so people don't intermingle with them. Amr Abai, Abai says, no, Kidei, the reason why we have this halacha is so that, even though in general we do knas the finances of Kusim, so that people don't intermingle. If you go, if a regular Yid goes and violates, rapes a, a Nara, who's a Basula, we don't want this sinner to gain. And therefore, even though in general we're not going to, uh, be you know uh, be so lenient with the money of the kusim over here. We're certainly not going to be lenient with the money of the sinner. We're going to make sure he pays up. Says the Gemara. Let's make sure he pays up, but not to the kusim. Maybe vilesfulaniim. Let him give it to tzedakah. Let him give it to the poor. And says the Gemara. Amar of Mari mishum davim mamon shein loytayvim. No, then there will be no specific claim, and we want to make sure this guy pays. See, if he gives it to the poor, who's going to take him to Besdin? But if he's going to have to pay it to the girl. And the her and her father, her and her family will take him to court, and we want to make sure that this sinner gets schlepped. You see, for this Gemara, not only is it this specific halacha, but there's times where you have to know what's what. You have to know the various levels. Are we going to knas the, the, the money of the kusim so that it doesn't lead to intermingling with the kusim and the regular Yisraelim and it doesn't lead to intermarriage? Absolutely, we're going to do so. we got to make sure that there's clear barriers between Yisraelim and kusim. But there's even greater line that needs to be created. And that is that anybody who goes and violates a young girl is... Uh, receives a strong consequence and receives all the consequences that the Torah puts into place. Part of that consequence is financial payments. And we're, that's one step up in what we're concerned about. A, make sure that sins are taken care of and that there's compensation to the victim that overrides our concern of, of uh, that overrides our concern of coming to intermingle with uh, coming to intermingle with the kusim. Okay, we will hold it here for today. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, Chavra. And again, uh, throughout Hanukkah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to be doing daf immediately after Marav. So it's going to be at 5 p.m. each evening uh, uh, through Hanukkah this week. Have a wonderful and beautiful Hanukkah. The, by the way, the, the, this last Gemara teaching me about, you know, What's chashivas? What's most important is very much connected to the story of Yosef in last week's parsha, where when Paitifar's wife tries to seduce him and convince him, he gives a whole spiel as to why he can't. He says the whole house is trusted to me; the only thing off limits to me is you. And then he says, "V'chatasi le'lekim," and we sinning to Hashem. So what, what's the var chatasi le'lekim? So you know, the, isn't that the main answer? And, but first, Yosef's giving a whole spiel as to why he can't do it. And then he says, Chatasi Lekim. The word is, Yosef is telling Petifar's wife, there's Chatasi Lekim, there's sins. But there's something that comes even before being all from. And that is being a human being. There's a certain menschlichkeit and demeanor and expectation of what it means to be a human. He says, I know you're trying to get me. A... Not that I have too much at stake. It's simply inhumane for me to sin with you. 
after all the trust that your husband put in me, uh, uh, puts in me, that, that comes before anything. And B, chetasi lelikim. There's different madrigas. You have to know that the Gemara is like this and a, a Pasuk like this in the Torah teaches us what is the Iker? What is the Iker? Like we say every morning in Shachris. I think they say this from Rav Gifter, Zechariah Lebracha, the Talzer Rashiva. We say every morning before Pesuk at the Zimra, La'olam yehayadam yarei shemayim b'seisur of agali. Literally translated, in context it translated, La'olam yehayadam yarei shemayim. A person should always be a yarei shemayim b'seisur privately of agali and revealed. Says Rav Gifter, you read it like this. La'olam yehayadam. Always you need to be an Adam. First you have to know what it means to be a person. You have to know what it means to be a person. You don't violate girls. You don't leave corpses. You don't take advantage of people. Once you're a mensch, you could be a Yare Shemayim Beseser Vagali. You could be, then you could be God fearing. But don't start with your whole God fearingness if you're Pasha, uh, if, if you're not an Adam, you're not a person. It's like a cow sitting on learning Torah. It's a joke. It's a joke. A person can't be an animal that sits and learns Torah. There's, there's an intrinsic. There's something called being humane. It's, there's being a human over here. And that's what Yosef is telling Paitifar's wife. I, I simply wouldn't be a human. And also, I need to be a human. And then I could be a Yari Shemaim. Then I could be worried about The Gemara here as well is saying, yeah, we're concerned about intermingling with Kusim. But this guy's not human. This guy's got to start paying up. He violated a girl. She's a kusi. We don't care. Stop with the stop with the frumkite. There's nothing to do with frumkite. You go pay up. That's A. B. Once you get past that, beseder. We'll deal with uh, with uh, you know knossing the mammon of the kusim. Okay. Zagavenched.